It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. If you do not want to hear the cold open, which I find to be hilarious, you may not. Skip three minutes in to begin the episode. If you do want to listen to the cold open, enjoy. Zach does not want to participate in this organic podcast. Why not, Zach? Because I feel like shit. What else is new? Are you hungover by or Sinone? Sinone. It's just how you're living? It's just sick all the time? I guess so, man. I just got some, like, really bad cough yesterday. I'm trying to recover a little bit. You just got it yesterday. I swear, yeah. You, you haven't been coughing for the last two months. Uh, it's been, like, on and off, but this is, like, a legit thing. <coughs> and my phone, thank you for doing that. Hi, Dane. Hey, Brendan and Zach. I came over here. Um, you know, they're just showing their practice, and I walk over. I was really wondering why Zach was talking like that. It was super weird. FSU is embarking on about two hours of special teams practice currently, so taking a quick break from observations and answering some more mailbag questions here. Zach, unfortunately, has not died from his bronchitis yet. He's still around. F you, Brendan. (laughs) Great, thank you. What are you doing? Giving you bronchitis. By touching my arm? Oh, it's birds. Are you gonna go? Do you, are you gonna go? Do you, you had bronchitis? Is contagious? I'm gonna go uh, do my class. All right. Good luck. You don't think bronchi- bronchitis is contagious? I don't think it is. It's viral. You can't spread a virus. Have you not been around for the last three years, Dane? told me it was contagious but it turned into pneumonia and i was out of school for like no like oh, i didn't do that but i had i literally had bad case of bronchitis in first grade and i had to go home multiple times because i just had the coughing fits in class it was brutal they's just laughing at me i mean at this point your sickness is hilarious it's a joke because okay. it's guys. been like two months of it just go I'll take some tomorrow. go take some pills good luck, good luck sweetie zach's gonna go do a presentation in school all right, I'm going to pull Chris Knee into this now. I have a hunch that he's going to be resistant to it, but we're going to find out. We're going to find out if Chris is going to play along with us. Chris, we're doing our mailbag podcast now instead of us all sitting down and doing it. I'm just asking people questions now. Do you want to play along? It's, uh, as, as expected, being kind of a Broward Knoll 15 asks, what are you most worried slash anxious slash nervous slash skeptical about in these last five games? I'll start off. I'm anxious about everything, Chris. I'm not doing this. You're not doing this? No. So do you want to do this episode later on Zoom? Because it's happening one way or the other. Yeah, we can do the episode at some point. All right. So this has been... Never mind. I just wasted 10 minutes of time. <laughs> Chris.
Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this special mailbag episode of On the Bench. Wait, did I say On the Bench twice? Oh boy. Does anyone want to yell out mailbag to save me for myself? Mailbag? <laughs> Thank you, Dane. Chris, once again, not playing along. Uh, if you listen to the cold open, it was a cold open in many ways. A, a cold that uh, Zach actually has a cold and is not joining us currently. I think he's dead. We're not entirely sure. He's with Brett in the gutter somewhere, post Louisville. A uh, cold and that Chris is a cold, heartless <laughs> sometimes. In cold, that just Dane's chilly a lot of the time because he doesn't dress warmly enough. And so, yeah, even right now, he's, he's, he's chilly. So, hey, mailbag episode of OTB. You guys have questions. We have some answers. We'll play a little buyer Sinone, sponsored by the Turner Group as well, within the mailbag episode here. Before we get into it, gentlemen, let's talk about the soup du jour, du, du jour, soup of the day, the topic of the day, and that is the decommitment of four-star offensive lineman Roderick Kearney. We had IHOP, right? And pancakes are meant for flipping, and he flipped from Florida State to Florida. Thank you. I've been working on that for about 15 minutes before we start recording. Chris, uh, this was felt like an, an inevitability. It finally happened. I, I guess there's some relief in, like, you're not playing this game anymore. Yeah, it's it's refreshing that it's just done and over with because it was going to happen. He wiped everything clean of FSU, kept showing up at Florida. He did come to FSU for the Clemson game for an official. There was nothing warm and fuzzy that we got feedback from that visit that made us think the trend of this recruitment had changed. I think it's a good thing for all parties that it's now over, that there's some conclusion to it. FSU can move on, figure out what's next on their offensive line board, figure out who they want to get in here, who wants to be here, and that's the direction to go. Rod's a talented dude, probably an interior lineman at the next level. It'll take him a little time to get there as far as being a contributor on the field, which is pretty normal for any dude at that position. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he he wanted to go to UF. It, it, weird recruitment in the sense where he bad-mouthed the coaches he's now going to go play for when he committed to FSU fresh off his official visit to Florida, takes an official to FSU not long after, commits to Florida. A whole lot of story in between those two points of the recruitment, too. Uh, yeah, it is what it is. I, I don't I don't think it's worth losing sleep over. I'm not trying to diminish the kid. I think he's plenty capable and talented and will be a good lineman long-term in the college game. But, you know, he made his choice. He chose where he wanted to go. I don't think FSU lost a whole lot of sleep trying to battle for it down the stretch. They, they brought him in for that official, made their last pitch. It was what it was. I think all parties knew it was going to play out in the manner it did yesterday when he made his final decision. I think that's a good way to, to phrase it, Chris, that FSU didn't lose a lot of sleep over it. And it's not to say, like, this isn't sour grapes. Oh, they didn't want them. Like, Florida State absolutely would have taken – they did take the commitment. They would have honored the commitment. I think Alex Atkins would have liked to work with Rod Kearney for the foreseeable future because he is a talented interior offensive lineman, probably projects as a center. Uh, we all really liked his junior film a lot. There's a lot to like about it. The senior film, I think he's been dealing with a hand or wrist injury – uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, but senior film, not quite as robust, not as much of it on the huddle. Uh, and ultimately, like, there's reasons why things don't work out sometimes. Again, I think Florida State was okay with this not working out, and we could leave it at that. It doesn't have to be super sensational. Yeah, it's worth mentioning in this day and age of transfer portal and the ability to exit stage left quickly in the college game more so than ever before. If a guy doesn't want to be there and it's not all the way in, you, you can't bag him. Like, you just, you know. It's one of those things where if he wants to go somewhere else, you let him go somewhere else and you wish him well. Good luck at that stop. And yeah, it is what it is. 
Alex Atkins, we're out there at practice. So we've talked to recruits or excuse me, we've obviously talked to recruits, but talked to players after they were recruits. Uh, Rob Scott, can I have Charlton come to mind as saying that Alex Atkins is brutally honest as an offensive line coach, not just when you get there, which is when all coaches start becoming brutally honest is after you enroll. Uh, but even during the recruiting process, like he'll straight up tell you, you suck at this. I can get you better at it or you need to work on this, but you're, you are not good at this right now. Uh, some that's for some players. It's not for everyone. Uh, maybe it's the best way to to put it. And that tact can be beneficial and that you learn about uh, who you're going to be working with before you actually work with them uh, two way street there. So with that in mind, the offensive line board, let's talk about what's currently intact Dane, uh, who is in the boat right now. And then we can kind of go from, you know, what FSU does from, from here. Uh, yeah. So you got to start with Lucas Simmons. I mean, that's your boy. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's what the highest rated offensive lineman uh, if he signs at Florida State, which seems like he will um, be the highest rated offensive lineman uh, you get in a class. And I don't know how many years, to be honest, but a while. I mean, he's really promising, like prototypical left tackle guy, um, six, eight, 300 pounds, top 100 prospect. Uh, Chris, help me out. Who do you have other than him? I don't think you'd do have another offensive lineman in the class, right? No, there's not another committed at this point. There are several targets. Uh, you know, the one that's been on the board the longest is DJ Chester. He's similar to Rod in the sense where he's probably an interior guy. He is listed by 247 as a tackle. I think DJ's future is interior personally. I, I think long-term he's probably a really good guard, kind of like a road grader. There's a whole uh, lot of other guys that are kind of keeping warm to varying degrees. Chris Otto is a name that I love. Key West kid. He came to Seminole Showtime. He likes FSU, likes our film school, very interested. Otto's interesting because he's kind of massive and athletic. He's 6'5", 290. He's a wrestler, good with his hands, good with leverage. I think he's a kid that's got an insanely high ceiling long-term, but there's a lot of work that has to be invested there. His recruitment's been kind of moving at a snail's pace. Some of that's his location. He's not exactly in a place where it's super easy for him to take a lot of unofficial visits. So. I expect him to take a few officials down the stretch. I intend to get up with Otto in the near future. Um, we've seen him kick the uh, Juco ranks a little bit. Uh, another high schooler mentioning Caden Jones. But at this point, Caden Jones sounds more like a Florida A&M battle. Uh, he's got ties to Texas A&M. I believe he had an uncle play there. Florida has been very active in recruiting him. The Juco's Elijah Philippi is a kid that they've been after for a long time. He's from Brendan's favorite place. Scranton, the Electric City! Uh, and then you have Keyshawn Blackstock, a recent name that's popped up here. He's at Coffeyville Community College in Kansas. He was offered by FSU. He is originally from Newton, Georgia, Covington High School up that way. So he is not far away. I would presume – I actually haven't talked to Blackstock since he got the offer. I've tried. I presume he's probably actually been on campus before. I know there was a stretch there uh, pre-COVID and immediately after COVID where FSU actually got quite a few Newton kids on campus a few times. So – it wouldn't shock me if he has been on campus before FSU is his most recent offer, uh, you know, and then there's also obviously the transfer portal. I don't think FSU is going to hesitate to recruit offensive linemen out of the transfer portal. There's something about being able to get physically developed guys who have been in the college strength and conditioning programs and college athletics that understand the rigors of the game where it can pay off for you a little bit quicker than having to take a high school kid you got to develop. So I think you'll see FSU recruit from both levels, the uh, high school and JUCO ranks, as well as the transfer portal ranks. Anyone that you want to add 
day not on the radar for offensive line recruiting or to Chris tidy that up pretty well? I think he did a good job with that. I think it'd be interesting to see who is added, though. You mentioned Blackstock is like a new name. Um, interested, interested to see if there's others because you probably don't take many in this class. But, you know, with new offers going out, it'd be cool to see who else, who else there might be if there is any. This is Chris mentioned a couple of Juco guys. This is also kind of the time of year where Juco offers start becoming more and more prominent. I think usually October ish. So we're, we're in tis the season. And Chris mentioned transfer portal as well. I do anticipate Florida State to be very active with offensive linemen uh, when when the time comes, which isn't that isn't that far away. December 1st, I think it is, is when the first uh, window for transfer portal opens up. So, yeah, it's a month and month and change away. One quick addition on that. I don't know if there's a kid that they've previously offered that they circled back on. Maybe Kelton Smith, but he's committed to Georgia. That's going to be a tough one to try to flip, obviously. What about the kid who – what about the Louisville kid? Uh, the kid from Indiana. Uh, oh, I thought you were talking about Jordan Church. You're talking about Church. Luke Burgess, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And if if things go belly up for Louisville, yeah, um, he's still he's been a regular at Louisville. He's recruiting other kids there. I think at this point he's pretty firm. Obviously, Satterfield's on a little bit thin ice there, so it could get interesting. But you know, that's real close to home. I think he's pretty happy with the school itself. It would be interesting to see how that recruitment would weather a coaching change. And obviously Zach Owens is a kid that FSU felt very good about when he decommitted from Clemson, came here for a visit. It didn't go uh, the direction that everybody expected. And he ends up back in Clemson's class a couple of days later. So that was one where FSU actually had kept a kid warm and was in the game, but yeah, it, it went weird. Recruiting gets weirder by the day. So just roll with the punches people. It is what it is. For recruiting. Don't get so worked up about it. And and Burgess has recently told me that there's some contact still with the FSU staff, but um, Ooh, but no visits dang. and dang. no dang. visits Dro- planned. Dropping scoop here. Am I? Oh, I mean, excuse me. <laughs> Part of me while I whip this out. All right, do we want to move on to the mailbag? The mailbag. All right, let's whip out the mailbag. Dane, mailbag. Mailbag. Oh, <laughs> I liked it. That was good. That was good. Let's start off with. The Byers Sinone section of the mailbag. Brought to you by Byers- Turner Group. Oh, Chris, go do the whole thing. Do it for me. No, I can't do it like you do it, but I just, <laughs> I, I wanted to warm you up. Chris Thank was you. smiling so big right there. He's cheesing. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Uh, funny you should mention it because Byers Sinone is sponsored by the Turner Group. Colin and Amy Turner are a husband and wife duo, selling homes, buying homes, helping you out. Uh, with all your realty needs in Central Florida. They've been at it for a while. They do a great job. They are FSU grads. Amy is, two, I was getting confused which one's which. That Amy's 2006, Colin's 2005. Amy works with sellers. Colin works with buyers. Uh, let's see here. I want to shout out, what, what, what attribute here do I want to focus on today? They are a yearly multi-million dollar producer, and which is impressive because they only have it's a four-person team. So they make deals. They work really hard to get deals done. Super responsive, both of them, and we'll get back to you right away if when you reach out. You could hit up Colin at 407-403-8546. Email him at get started at the Or like I like to say, my favorite way to do it is just Google the Turner Group, and you get to see a bunch of five-star reviews and whatnot as well. I've been told I say whatnot too much, uh, so I'm going to try not to do that again for the rest of the podcast. We'll see if I can do it. All right, by Orsonone. This is from AD League Canada. By Orsonone, 
Dan, I'm going to throw this to you first. If gotcha. FSU finishes the season with eight or nine wins, they will finish with a top 10 to 15 recruiting class. Byers to know. Uh, 15, I guess, fringe on that. I just don't think they're targeting a lot of guys that can really get them there, especially without Kearney, with Kearney out of the class. I don't know. Um, I kind of, I've also known that. I think that'd be unpopular. Um, I just don't think there's a lot of room to grow in the class. I think it's more focused on portal and, and obviously finishing the year strong would be great for, for like the 24 class and just job security. You know, if you want to get upgrade coaching staff, that sort of thing. But I don't know if it does a ton for 2023. I don't think there's, there's not a ton of room to grow in the class. I'm synoning it. I think they sit at 19 right now. They would probably need to land two of Cedric Baxter Jr., Ruben Bain, Jordan Hall, which is a very long shot at this point, DJ Chester, and Damari Brown. If they landed two of those guys, they'd probably have an outside chance of creeping into that spot, that area of top 15. I don't think that's likely. I also think it would be a very close, tight race for them to be in the 15, even with two of those guys. Uh, I'm going to buy it. Let's think about what eight and four or nine and three would look like. That means you're going either five and over oh four and one. If two of those wins are against in-state rivals. And if you end the year out on a high note, like you'll have some legitimate juice to close on some of these deals. Um, I think top 15 is probably like a top 10. No, like I think that's way too rich and uh, a ton would have to go right for you. That's kind of inconceivable to think about. But top 15, yeah, I think you could squeak in there and, and get in with a uh, with some firepower and, and ammunition uh, to, to close strong if you finish the regular season strong. Tampa Noll. 15, real quick, you sit at 15 commitments. We expect them to take roughly 20 high schoolers. So that's only about high schoolers or JUCOs, non-transfers. Mm-hmm. That's only really about five spots. So it's just not a lot of numbers to make up a spot. Plus, you got to remember, while well, you sit at 19 now, Everyone else you is don't good. you don't get to just move up and everybody else sits still. Everybody moves, so yeah. there's that factor too. Yes, so they are big game hunting right now. Like that is like they have five spots and they, like if they have to spend more on transfers, transfer portal guys, then um, anticipate. Like I think they're okay with that. So like they're not going to be adding a bunch of low end three star guys. I don't think like they're right. they're in it for 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 whales at this point. And if you look at the rankings too, like the top 15 or so teams, there's kind of a strict cutoff. I feel like in the quality of program there in the class rankings, like that top 15 is really, really pretty packed and sneaking in there. I think it's tougher than it sounds. We will see. Got to win first. Got to take care of business. Uh, Tampa Knoll 776 buyers known when Travis Hunter goes in the transfer portal, FSU will pursue hard, put a full court press on him. I mean, if, if he enters, by like you gotta yeah i don't think i don't think bridges have been burned to the point where you don't pursue someone of that talent level right yeah i mean i i think fsu would have a phone call with him but if that kid answer enters the portal i think he ends up in athens georgia probably i'll put it this way the way fsu recruited marius mims the first time is the way georgia recruited travis hunter the first time same concept same thing at play it was a recruitment for the second recruitment Knowles, 1998, Byers known. FSU's defense forces 10 or more turnover, turnovers Excuse me, in the final five games of the season. Uh, first off, takeaways. Byers known. Also known that, right? Like that two two per game is what you're going to average? Yeah, I'm synoning. I just, I, they don't, 
they don't do that right now. They do play some lowly teams. You know, Florida's been had a propensity to get a little turnover happy, especially when they have to throw the ball around. Louisiana, Georgia Tech are both lesser teams. Syracuse, I think, does a pretty good job protecting the ball. Um, in general, I haven't looked at the numbers, so I, I don't want to be steadfast on that. But I think part of the reason they've had the success they've had is they don't get turnover happy. And then, of course, there's Miami Hoop. Yeah, you know, hey, they might give the FSU 10. In one they game, got so. they got the out of they got the eight out of their system. You probably ain't getting that one again. Maybe a regression to the means there. Eight, we'll do better than that. <laughs> you get a turnover, and you get a turnover, and you get a turnover. Imagine the tweets after that one. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm workshopping some right now. Dane, what do you got? Buyer Sinone on that? Uh, definitely Sinone. I I don't think there's a lot of luck in turnovers, but I I don't think you play with the right tendencies to like to create enough havoc to to get there to be consistent if there is consistency in creating creating takeaways mm-hmm. i'm fuller if he's listening and smiling right now that you said takeaways <laughs> gasu buyers to know mike is doing exactly what he was hired to do and the only reason fans are complaining is he hasn't made fsu a top 10 program again in three really 2.5 seasons oh, this feels a little loaded <laughs> feel it was like there's like <laughs> a he's, little he's leading oh. us a little bit I'll buy the point that he's doing what he was hired to do. He has flipped the culture. He has improved the roster. He's developing players. He has stabilized this thing greatly. Now, I think it's fair to say we're at a pretty pivotal point here in this backstretch of five of this program needs to win a vast majority of the remaining games they have in front of them to be still doing what he was hired to do. Um, but uh, fans are unhappy because they've lost three in a row and they squandered one of those completely in the NC State game. That's why there's unhappiness. And I think that's fairly rooted in what happened. But at the same time, it, it was a rebuild. Like, always remember, it was a rebuild. And he was going to be given time to rebuild it. And he has done a good job to this point in having success in doing that. Now it's crucial that he continues to build on it and does more. And, you know, we're at a pretty crucial time period for that actually to happen for this program. Uh, if Josh Newberg was here right now, he'd be smiling at Chris calling something a pivotal stretch, not me. Uh, the, you call everything a pivotal stretch. I pick I mean, my there's punches. A, there's a lot of pivotal punches. Dane? Uh, yeah, I think I agree with Chris and that he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Florida State's on a good track, um, and that's a big improvement from where they've been before him. Um but there's also been moments like, I mean, Jacksonville State sticks out like a sore thumb, right? And there's just been lapses and moments. But I think that's to be expected. Nothing can be perfect. Um, yeah, but you don't and, have to lose Jacksonville State. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I said it sticks out like a sore thumb. There is a gulf between perfect and Jacksonville State loss. But yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's been moments. But I think generally the trajectory's only gone up. And maybe it's it's not the – as steep of an incline as people would like, but that's because fans and that's, you know, they expect more than they probably should. So yeah. yeah people, I'll, I'll people, think, people think success is linear in a lot of ways. Like that's usually kind of how I think it's thought about of, Oh, he, it, it's a good thing on top of a good thing on top of a good thing. No, it's, it's good thing, bad thing, better thing, good thing, bad thing, better thing, good thing, bad thing. That's the way it works. It, it's, in the college game of football, it's just not that way. The issue is you can't st- keep stacking bad things or negative things. That's what gets you fired. And for good things to keep happening, talent has to get better. Roster has to take the next step. 
player development has to continue, which has been a good thing under Mike Norvell. There's a lot of positives to point to. There's plenty of things you can also point to and hold skepticism out for what the long-term projection of his success is going to be here. And I think that's entirely fair. But at the end of the day, it is a rebuild. He is going to be given his time. Yeah, I, I still known Gasu's entire point. Like there's, Dane mentioned, there's reasons why people are skeptical outside of like it's not a top 10 program yet. But I do buy that Mike is doing what he was hired to do, which is rebuild this thing. And point like that I'm going to continue making, I need to get the numbers of, of where he stands among Power 5 coaches. Mike Norvell is rebuilding this program at a pretty friendly contract right now. Like he's doing a lot of like dirty work and heavy lifting and getting this thing on track. If he ultimately gets you to a place where you're top 10 program and then like he will be paid handsomely for that. Not to say $4 million or so a year is not handsomely right now, but it, the college football landscape has changed drastically quickly. Uh, should and, we, and, should we have a little fun with this point when we think about coaches hired in 2020? Yeah. So let's, Mike Norvell, uh, Lane Kiffin, Old Miss, I believe. Mm-hmm. Nick Rolovich at Washington State, no longer there, but that wasn't on-field related. That was yeah. Yeah. Uh, policies. Keep it, Mike, keep it Le- Mike Leach, Mississippi State, has had success there. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Lake, Washington's already out the door. Greg Shiano at Rutgers. It's Rutgers. There's only so much success you can have. <laughs> Dave Aronda Baylor had a great deal of success. It's come a little bit more back to earth this year. Jeff Halfley, BC, obviously going through some major struggles. Uh, let me see who else. Sam Pittman at Arkansas, kind of similar as Baylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Todd Graham at Hawaii was another one. Uh, Mel Tucker, Michigan State, skyrocketed very quickly, crashed bound back down to earth pretty quickly as well. Drinkwitz at Mizzou is another one, I believe. Jeff Scott, USF, that thing hasn't gotten on the reels at all. Willie Taggart so, at FAU. Oh, thank you. So just, yeah, it, it's a mixed bag. I, I think a lot of people like to hinge on a point of like uh, Tennessee. Tennessee is a good example of how quickly that thing has skyrocketed. I think that's far more the exception than the rule. It's also tougher to sustain as Michigan State kind of showed. Michigan State kind of had that flash in the pan success last year, and it's crashed back down to earth this year. So I, I guess the point, again, it's not linear. It's very tough. I do think what Mike is trying to do here is to build it to sustain it, um, but you have to do that. And saying it's not linear, I mean, that's like it depends on your perspective too. Like uh, on a week-to-week basis, correct. Like it, it's going to change. Even month-to-month businesses, you look at things quarterly, so every three months. But like look at it annually. FSU is in a better spot today than it was last year, buyer snow. Yeah, I mean, it is. Bye. Big bye. Uh, FSU is a better spot in 2021 than it was in the 2020 season. Also a yeah. big bye. Okay. Uh, Significant both years. 2020 versus 2019, I don't think we say 2020 was better, but that was the bottoming out that was needed. Culturally, uh, I think you are in a you were in a better spot uh, needing uh, some rebuilding and whatnot. But I, I, think I think he we, used 2020 perfectly, though. He blew it up. It needed to be blown up. Yeah, I don't think it was intended to necessarily blow it up, but like it, the circumstances dictated like that. Oh, you're going full on blow up at this yeah. point. Yeah, you can try to rebuild your roster slowly by input output, or you can just get rid of a whole heck of a lot of it, uh, suffer through the pain of it, and then you know, what did I say, Brennan? You I didn't just, say the anything. Dane, throwing me off. Dane was, I don't. I mean, he. Looked I was like cracking he was, my back. Yeah, his Sorry. hands were like over his chest, though. Like it was. <laughs> 
he was fondling his chest is what he looked like he was doing I think in 2020 is pretty meaningless year it's amazing looking back on it and thinking about that year how it just was a waste of time in so many ways but I do think FSU was smart in the sense of gutting their roster well it made them bad and they had a hole to dig out of and they had to vastly improve the depth of a lot of positions and they suffered through that last year I think it showed itself this year that it was a smarter path than allowing some guys to hang around potentially infecting the roster in negative ways or just kind of being in a – you can't be in the middle of trying to do what your culture is supposed to be. you got to be all in on doing that. I think FSU did a good job of being all in on what they want their culture to become. Was was a worthwhile uh, side road for us to, to veer off on. Let's get back on track now. Memphis, Nolan, 1992, Byers to known. A.B. and Kev would win in a fight versus Chris and Zach. Uh, I will throw that to you, Dane. I'll let you go first on that. So we have uh, Byers Sinone, A.B. and Kev beating Chris and Zach. You know, I'm I'm pretty high on Zach's athletic ability, to be honest. Okay. Um, I've, I've thrown a football around with him a good amount of times at this point. He's actually a pretty athletic guy. I feel like A.B.'s kind of a wrecking ball, though. You know, that offensive line background, seeing him, you know, pulling around as like a right guard, I think he could probably take no offense, Chris. I think he could take you both out and one and one fell swoop. Um, and then Kev there to clean up. I'm gonna go with him. Go with them. Oh. I was gonna say I think I'm the dirtiest player in the game, but I think Kev actually probably is. So yeah, they would probably win. I think Kev would have some maniacal, like super villain chemistry set that he would use to like blow him up. Him and Zach would unleash the cats and we'll see which cats win. Oh, because he's a super villain? No, because they both have cats. No, he has a dog. It's a small dog. It's a dog? (laughs) (laughs) TB3, Golf 714, Byerson, FSU lands a 2023 prep quarterback that is currently committed to a non-ACC school. Uh, At this point, it seems like he's asking if they get Brock Lynn, right? Byers Sinone. Uh Sinone. Uh, okay, answer why <laughs> I'm still can't get over the dog thing. Um, I'm I'm Sinoning this. I, I'm still pretty steadfast. I just I, I I'm of the opinion that the transfer portal is gonna be the place where they find a quarterback. I don't think it's a big Sinone. Um I think it's less likely. I mean it's I think it's there's a less than fifty percent chance that it happens. Um but no, that's not like a terribly poor chance, I don't think. No, I was more laughing at still where we were at, and that it's yeah. just an indirect way about asking about Brooklyn. Uh, I still know it. It's not likely that you're going to flip a quarterback from Ohio State. Obviously, there is still interest in communication. We reported this past week that Tony Tokars was visiting Brooklyn. So, I mean, there's still a line of communication. I do assume that both sides would like some level of finality to this, like, sooner rather than later uh so we'll like all of a sudden you're hearing about brockland taking a visit in a month then yeah that changes things but right now i i think we're at a sedown stage and then other than brockland it's like chris said it, it definitely transfer portal is where you're looking right yeah for well, i mean there's emory williams but non-acc is a factor yeah. in that because we still yeah. allow miami to be in the acc yeah for now <laughs> not the big east and and he hasn't they haven't visited or anything in a little while so we'll we'll see if that's anything worth following up on uh right now but no no acc contacts outside of that um 
or non-ACC, I should say. Final Byersonone, JMO112. Byersonone, FSU's on track to be a top 15 program nationally by the start of the 2024-2025 season. So that's two, two seasons from now. Hmm. Chris, I'll, I'll let you start us off here. Uh, I'm going to Sonone it for right now. Uh, I don't think it's far off, but there's a few pieces that they have to land on the roster for me to feel like they're getting that direction. And number one at that spot is quarterback. I, I think it's just such a crucial position. I don't know that they currently have a guy on the roster who I feel like elevates them to that level. And I don't know who currently they would get that would be an addition that I would feel like would be prepared to do it at that point. Transfer portal, obviously, is a quick way of changing my opinion on the subject. You said top 25 program? 15. Oh, okay. That is tougher. I think I think where you'll be as a program and all likelihood is is somewhere where you can go get a really good like transfer portal quarterback you know if you if high school recruiting doesn't go the way you want it to um and that's more of what i think the question is whether you're a top 15 team because you have a good quarterback or not i think is a little different than being a top 15 program i think it'd be really i think you're gonna be in a really stable spot with improving recruiting classes um you should be you should be a complete team in your florida state and if the coach is still there and doing well, then you should be a top 15 program by then. I feel like so much of this outlook, and this goes back to Chris talking about this being pivotal. I'm so proud of you, Chris. Of projecting two years ahead is really how they finish this year. Maybe, maybe I'm being prisoner of the moment, but like finishing off strongly and having some juice on the recruiting trail to maybe push for a top 15 recruiting class, at least be in the conversation with guys to have that extra Oomph, uh, that sales pitch to portal players. Uh, it's, it feels like this is such a big couple weeks here, a few weeks for Florida State, month, I guess, and, and change uh, to go ahead and, and kind of assert yourself in the state to show where you're at culturally, that you can win games that you're supposed to win handily, like against Georgia Tech and Louisiana, to handle big moments well, like against Miami. I mean, at Miami will be a, a rowdy atmosphere for the, the lone time in the season that Hard Rock is is bumping on a on a Saturday. And then Florida, we saw last year, they kind of, they lost their cool and, and kind of showed where they were developmentally. So anyway, there's just so much that has to happen here in the next five weeks and such a big pivot point for this program that I think what happens in the next five weeks will really very much so indicate like where this program is at. At under Mike Norvell in 2024. Which brings me to, uh, as we finish up, that, that was the last of Byers to Know. Thank you again to the Turner Group for sponsoring that segment. Let's get into the rest of the mailbag questions and kind of jumping off the, the point I was just making. J-Rod31 asks, what does a successful end of the season look like from a record standpoint and ranking finishes on offense and defense. So let's start off with record, Chris. Like, what what would you deem successful for the the final record of, of the year? Like seven and five enough? They'd be eight and four. I, I think eight and four is the barometer. Four and one down the stretch is pretty important. Four and one or better. I also would love to see them win their ball game. It's always good to go in the offseason with a victory. As far as offensive and defensive rank, I think where they rank right now, I think you could see a slight increase offensively. I don't think we're going to see the defense make any significant moves. I think they're going to 
kind of be pretty stable. They are sort of what they are. Getting Lovett back will help to a degree. It should make them a little bit better against the run, which thusly will make them a little bit more predictable for the opponent or making the opponent a little bit more predictable, which will help the secondary some. But I don't expect some big leap or change with the defense. Yeah, um, I think 4-1 and one has to be the answer, getting to 8-4, and four, um, especially because of who you play. Um, if you, you drop two of those games, one of those is going to be pretty disappointing in all likelihood. Um, you play Georgia Tech and Louisiana, those are two games you really need to win to solidify like being where you want to be as a program, I guess. Because you're going to be big favorites in both of those games. Uh, you also have them both at home. And then playing Florida and Miami, two teams that – you're also going to be favored against, and those are big rivalries. You want to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, so I think 4 one's the right answer. With offense and defense, uh, statistically, I think you – I mean, if you're looking at, like, rankings, you, you rank pretty well offense and defensively, offensively and defensively already. Um, I think I kind of uh, disagree with Chris in that I feel like defense has more room to grow because the guys you're getting back, like, will love it and maybe a healthier verse, that sort of thing healthier Duke Cooper, maybe. Um, I think those could be more influential in the success of that unit. FSU is top 25 yard per play team in both on both offense and defense. The issue on offense is red zone uh, production. Some of that is on place kicking and that, that slump that Brian Fitzgerald had that forced you to, to go for it more maybe than you would like. And obviously him not coming away with, with field goals impacts the points, of course. And then uh, on defense, it's the lack of – and they talked about this on X's and Knowles yesterday, and we put that in the podcast feed. If you haven't listened to it, it is a really informative podcast, but kind of the lack of success on first and second downs. Like the yard per play on defense is fine, but there's not a whole lot of like impactful plays being made, and, and uh, that obviously impacts third down and creates less havoc-y type of situations where the offenses can – can sputter a little bit. So that's a man fuller's talk about them needing to do better. But anyways, like I'm saying that these aren't incomplete offenses and defenses. Like there's something there. There is room for them to get better. Uh, it's weird guys. Like if I told you before the season, if they went seven and five, I think we all would have probably been like, okay, we would take that. It keeps you on track. It's maybe not a, a feel good record, but that's not a, uh, we need to start making changes record, but it just feels different now that you've seen the season play out. You start off with the four wins and, and yeah, I think I'm with both of you. Long story short, eight and four. So finishing off four and one is, is probably where you, you need to be to feel like this is a quote unquote successful season. NYC Null 92 asks, besides CJ Baxter, do you see any other elite level blue chip recruits that FSU can make a run at before early signing day? Chris, you mentioned a couple earlier. Um, yeah, Ruben Bain is somebody that they're in the picture with. Got a lot of Miami ties. Alabama's involved there. Auburn thinks they're real involved there. Uh, Damari Brown's another one. They had him in here for an official recently. Alabama had him on campus again this past weekend. Has major Miami ties. His dad played there. I think his dad actually played with Randy Shannon. Uh, so there's that tie with FSU where Shannon's pretty tight with that family. There's a couple other guys that I mentioned earlier in the pod, but those are a couple that come to mind immediately. Maybe Jalen Brown. Uh, I think that's probably a yeah. long shot. He's committed to LSU, but I think you continue. He's from South Florida. You continue to at least kick the tires there and try to position yourself well. Uh, LSU is obviously handling it itself well on the field right now and making it difficult to to have a sales pitch anti-LSU other than you beat them. Um, maybe. Oh, man, this is yeah, this is a stretch, but, but maybe Desmond Ricks. I don't think you can make a – 
great run if like Alabama and Georgia are, are going after him after he reclassified. But it's a guy you're at least going to probably kick the tires on even after everything that happened over the summer. Um, so those are just some other names to throw out there. Uh, anyone else, Dane, that you can think of? Uh, there's just not a ton of names. That's why I was saying earlier, like, mm-hmm. I don't think you get a top 15 class, even if you finish so strong. There's not, not a ton of names that are really going to move that needle. There's some, but not, not a high volume. NYC092 also asks, should risingspear.com, good shout out there, make a free agent run at Travis Hunter? It's abundantly clear that he's needed in the DB room and Dion is a scam art. Okay. <laughs> they put it on the teleprompter and you read it. Matt329, do you think Norvell will make any changes to his staff this offseason? If so, how many? Dan, I feel like you answered a question like this earlier today before Chris ruined everything for us. Do <laughs> you ask how many staff changes, if any? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was saying maybe one, like one through four, I think is a good number. I think he does make some. That's a, I mean, that's a big difference between it, one. You're talking about almost <laughs> half the staff. If they go to four, Dan. between one and eight, I think. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think there's there's names you can point out as replaceable guys, and there's names that aren't going to realistically be replaceable. I don't know if it's appropriate to name those guys, but that's people where want I'm at. people want names. I'm not. People want to fire people. I'm hesitant to believe this. I've, I've shared this opinion on previous podcasts we've had. I don't think he's in a rush to make changes. I, You know, people are clamoring for defensive coordinator. I'm not convinced that happens. Defensive backs coach, maybe. That, that position group hasn't been very good. They do not seem to be improving. In fact, it seems that some have regressed. So I get the concern there. Tight end's always going to be pointed out because of that room kind of being uh, mediocre and the production of it being eh. But a guy like Marcus and Douglas, and this isn't a saving grace saying the coach keeps his job solely because of this, but Marcus and Douglas has improved. Brian Courtney does look like a guy who's going to be a contributor down the road for them. I still have hopes for Jackson West, despite this year being kind of wiped out because of him being unavailable. Uh, I, I just I don't think he's going to be fast to make changes. Does he make any changes? Eh, I could see one. I, 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 I don't expect a whole lot, though. Um, it's just, you know. I think Mike's more in the business of trying to get his guys promoted than getting rid of his guys. The board has been antsy about Alex Atkins being linked to the Charlotte job. I think the athletic did a story the other day, mentioned him as a, as a potential candidate and the, the ties are pretty clear. One, uh, he'd be qualified for that job based on what he's done so far Two, he, he worked at Charlotte for a season, but it was only a season. Like I mean, if I'm Alex Atkins, like I think you can probably, like he will be a head coach at some point. He deserves that opportunity. He's he's proven that he's extremely valuable. I think he's really thoughtful and be someone who I'd be extremely interested in seeing what he does as a head coach. Uh, just based on his whole kind of very cerebral setup and seeing how that does that holistic approach does as a head coach. But I, I think you could probably buy your time a little bit and and afford to be a little choosy. You don't have to take the first one that opens up. Um, so, anyways, yeah. Would that count as a staff change? Like if a, a really good G5 job opened up this offseason and Alex Atkins was, yeah, that would, that would count as one. So, I mean, some guys might move on to to uh, upward opportunities. Mac Norvell certainly likes to promote play or excuse me, players to promote coaches and, and have them move on under him. Um, so, yeah, that, that'll be a potential name to keep uh, an eye on as well. Bloom 24. I view that question as uh, pitchforks and torches, though. Why? Like, Oh, the the way the question is asked. Firing more so than promotions, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, listen, they're we're coming off a bye week after three losses in a row. Like people are going to be antsy. I get it. Bloom 24. If you had to compare FSU from an NIL standpoint with another program, which would you compare them with? I, I don't know enough about unless Christy, do you have anything? I think we can move on from that one. I don't really No, I mean, we're you. sure as hell not Texas. I know that much. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not well versed in the inner workings of enough NIL programs elsewhere to really pick one that I think it's fitting. There's a tier of programs that are competing in NIL that is completely separate from the vast majority of college football. FSU mm-hmm. belongs to that vast majority of college football. FSU can pick their punches in the NIL game. They can't just be belligerent and have a certain kind of funds that you can just throw around. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Like Bloom 24, and it, it, they're legitimately good questions. It's just tough, like, because this isn't like a public record type of thing. Like, it, it's tough to compare apples to, to apples with this. He asks, like, where FSU would rank uh, FSU's NIL program, so not, not FSU, uh, shout out Rising Spear, uh, where it would rank in terms of effectiveness slash payouts for student athletes, top 25, he asked. Like, that's just I mean, so tough to tell. So from an ACC perspective, I wouldn't say we're on the same level as Louisville or Miami. Um, Clemson, they're not super in the NIL game, but they're in it enough to do what they need to do to compete for the level of recruit they're getting. Um, but they're not like the first two programs I mentioned with the way they're going about NIL. Their NIL, I think, is a little more of a team-wide approach and a little bit more uh, harmonious. I don't think Dabo is particularly a lover of the NIL idea. Shocking. Um, yeah, but I, other than those in the, the league, I can't think of another school where I would say FSU is not on par with them. And FSU is probably not – they're not further back in a group beyond those three. Like I, I, They're probably in the fourth or fifth school listing it's proven to be a capable rising spirit a very capable entity for for florida state like i I think i'm not that a year ago around this time that was a huge source of consternation and anxiety for this fan base for myself i don't think it has to be anymore a little more context on the acc point I don't know UNC, for example. I, I don't know how much or, or Duke or Duke for hoops. I think we'll figure out with yeah. hoop stuff as that yeah. develops. Yeah, right. Priorities for Duke won't be in football, so that shouldn't matter for that. But like UNC is is capable of being a, I would think, of being a power just based off the brand and stuff. I but. think that's a good point. Uh, let's see. The Apex Null asks: One is Jordan Travis's probable departure for the NFL next year a product of him truly believing he can make it? as an NFL QB or because he feels it's just time to move on. Chris. Also known as, I'm sorry. I, I will share a conversation I had with Sinone today where I leaned into him and said, I think the only reason he goes is if he's tired of playing college football. And I firmly believe that. I just don't think he is thought of as a top tier, high end quarterback in the NFL draft. Uh, I think he may have an, ability of getting drafted late or being a guy that certainly would get an undrafted free agent type of deal and interest. But I I just, I'm not, I'm not all in on the idea that he's turned into a high level NFL quarterback. I I think he's improved dramatically, but there's a lot that goes into being an NFL quarterback. And I just don't know that he is that. And that's not a knock on the kid. I think he's turned into a great college quarterback and he's become a central piece of why FSU is far more successful today than they were three years ago. But I don't see the NFL side of it all, personally. Yeah, and he lacks some things that, like, NFL scouts, I think, 
like some of the things that are like eye candy to them. Like, I don't think he's a huge arm at all. I think he's pretty, I mean, he's proven to be injury prone. That's obviously a huge deal. And Chris saying he doesn't think he's going to go unless he's not having fun playing college football anymore. I, I don't think he'll, I don't think that'll be the case. I think I'll still be enjoying that, especially how they probably finish the year. If they do finish the year on a good note, I mean, Brennan, do you think do you think if they finish the year on a good note, he's more likely to come back? Ooh, I mean, it depends, I guess, on how good a note and what he does. And that, like, the first four games of the season, especially when he was doing against LSU, like, there was there was something there to us. Like, I think we have to actually pay attention to him as an NFL caliber prospect the issue that's only a four game stretch and chris brought this up today it's like the thing about being an nfl legitimate nfl prospect is you have to make a 20 20 15 20 yard out once twice three times over and over again throughout the duration of the game and jordan's like progression well documented like it's been great it's been a ton of fun to cover to watch it's been a really cool story Uh, but there is still like a lot of I think people have a hard time forgetting what they've seen previously. And there are a lot of examples in the past of him not looking anything like an NFL quarterback. I think if you just took this season and only this season alone, like I think there's something, a skill set there where you can say, yeah, I could see that if enough things were right around him. Uh, but it's a small sample of, of a small sample set of him looking like an NFL caliber quarterback. We're talking about a, a brief stretch of this season. Uh, so part of it is like you have to see how he finishes the year and what he looks like in this final stretch, these final five games. Uh, if he looks f- fine, if he looks good, if he finishes the year with like say like 150 passer rating, and you go four and one to your question, Dan, like I, I think there is a decent chance that he comes back. I mean, if he lights the world on fire and he wants to go ahead and and try his hand at the NFL, and yeah, good luck telling a elite athlete like you don't have a chance because they are cut from a different cloth than, than we are from a mentality standpoint uh, by we, I mean, just normal folks. Um, and maybe he tries that, but I, I think it's going into the year. I thought it was very unlikely that he was going to return to FSU. I thought he would probably try his hand in the NFL. I think now, like, I think it's still more likely that he will probably try to go pro. Um, he's been in college for what, five years now. Um, he's graduated or is on track to graduate i think he graduated um like but i think with nil now being a real thing if you could find you know, six figures to of, of opportunities of financial opportunities and, and appearances to justify a player staying for another year and especially a guy who may not be a draftable player right now like jordan then yeah that's something that i think he would consider i think something that florida state would be open for another year of Jordan Travis. Long story short. The Apex Knoll also asks, given the thread on here a couple weeks ago about FSU and the Big Ten, uh, serious behind-the-scenes movement happening, and given what you know, what are the odds that FSU's in the ACC? Chris, in 2026. I don't want to put odds on it. FSU is trying to get their house in order financially and athletically to be in the best position possible to do what they need to do. Would FSU love to get the hell out of the ACC? I think they would, to be perfectly honest. Um, but it's a big old price tag. There's, uh, you know, having to figure out there when it comes to financials, you have to figure out, can we raise X amount of dollars to do this? 
is the price tag what the contract states, you know, 10 times whatever revenue or years remaining times whatever revenue is how you calculate the exit fee, basically. That figure, is it negotiable? Can you get it down? Uh, and also, where are you going to land? You got to make sure you have a landing spot. What is the value of where you're going to land? Is grant of rights going to be an issue? Because if it is, and it doesn't make sense to go through all the hecticness of getting out, there's just so many moving parts. I think FSU is evaluating everything humanly possible to figure out what they can do. And I don't think the intention of what they're trying to figure out is to stay where they're at. It's with intention of going somewhere else. I'm just not convinced it happens at this point. I don't think there's enough money in the coffers, enough uh, leeway with negotiations to allow it. And you also got to have the party that definitely wants you. And while I think there's interest, and I personally think it's more Big Ten than SEC interest, I'm not convinced that it's enough yet for things to really be set in motion. I think so, that's an interesting point. Probably like the most, like of everything you just said, like the point of FSU not only exploring opportunities, but being very open, like liking to to be out by, I would forget the date, but like to be out of the ACC. Yeah, but to be out of the ACC, I think that's maybe like the the point is that like FSU would like to move on to bigger and better. It's not content, so just status quo. Take Texas OU, they're staying for the end of the grant of rights for their current deal. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not something that any ACC team trying to leave wants to do because that would take another what, 35, 36, whatever it is, the absurd-ass contract that they signed long ago. But it's just so tough. If you can't, you got to get out of grant of rights. I mean, that's the first hurdle you got to get over. Then you got to figure out the fee, the cost of leaving. Then you got to have the place you're going to land. And yeah, it's just so many moving pieces, so many parts. What FSU has done, what I've been told repeatedly for months on end, now more probably than than a year, is they're trying to get things in order, have their programs healthy, be in a good spot financially as an athletic university, and yeah, let the chips fall where it may. But I don't think it's any secret that they're somewhat interested in on the market if somebody wants to come calling, but there's a whole lot of dollars and cents that have to be figured out. This question is for Dane. This is from Danny Cronin7. Has Amari Gaynor fallen completely out of the rotation? And what's the most likely future tra- trajectory, excuse me, for him? Uh, I mean, he's been out for a while. He hasn't had a ton of opportunity, but um I think he he doesn't have I don't think he has a solidified role on the team, like in a specific position. I don't know where exactly he would be on like a, a realistic depth chart. Um yeah, I don't think he's – I think it's safe to say he's, like, not really in the plans for uh, at least this season, and I don't think his trajectory is great. Um, I feel like his most productive year was, what, his first year here? I, it was 2019, which is yeah, his redshirt freshman year. And yeah. you saw flashes because he's an athletic kid who can do some things pretty well. but And that, and that was a hybrid a hybrid scheme too, Dane, which I think was – you would helpful. fit better in, yeah, right. to his his hybrid hybrid three four. Um, so, so you're kind I, of a, uh, out of the place. I did the uh, players that played in four games. Gainer has played in two. He did play against Clemson special teams. Um, yeah, he was on yeah, the coverage. He played against Duquesne when he got hurt. So he has appeared in two games this year. But I think Dane answered that very well. Regards, he kind of just doesn't have a role right now. Um, you know, I'm interested to see if they try to turn him in maybe to. Uh, versatile and pass rusher specialist type of idea. 
it would have but, to be specialist. Like he doesn't have the bulk or the frame to be a full time like every down defensive end, which is yeah, what I, I think that's still uh, pick your punches, limited downs usage kind of guy. You're not you're not using him as a pass rusher over Jared Verse or Patrick Payton or mm-hmm. Derek McClendon, and those are the three guys that are going to gobble up a vast majority of reps at the defensive end position for FSU going forward. Slight slight uh, sidetrack here, Chris Byron Turner, Byron Simone. I love me some Byron Turner. I compared him to your favorite offensive player who doesn't yet shine the brightest star because he can't stay healthy, Darian Williamson today. Byron Turner's got some stuff to the kid. Like him and Pat Payton both are a little bit more electric than your average defensive end on the FSU roster. Turner's issue is he's just not been available a lot. Mike Norvell talked about him after practice day. We got to see him do more today in practice. I think he's done in a while. Uh, Yeah, I'm interested how much – duty he gets here going forward and what kind of happens with some in-game reps if it kind of takes off a little bit but the problem for byron is he's kind of been robbed of a whole heck of a lot of developmental time last year and now into this year so that's just disappointing but i do like byron turner i do think that kid has good potential for fsu at that position long term yeah like you said he's been hurt a ton and he's really young so there's not a lot of opportunity in there but i think i mean i think he looks great like there's plenty there's a plenty high ceiling there i don't know why brennan's laughing I, i'm laughing because um, we're all eager to to get dibs on him because we all really like him i think oh. chris has put his his flag down but i yeah dane being you being eager uh entertained me as well to get it he's, he's quick and he's twitchy and he's big and he looks older than he is like he physically i think i mean i don't know I, i'm i'm really high on him like Chris, when you mentioned Amari Gaynor and his role and the guys he would be behind, I feel like by the season's end, maybe maybe he's also behind Byron Turner um, in that defensive end role. If he's yeah, I don't you know, I don't disagree with you. I think it's more valuable to get Turner more opportunities if he's able and capable of playing, because he's a guy that long term is going to be more beneficial for your roster. I think it was the Duquesne game. So way back at the start of the season, watch him on kickoff coverage. Like he flies down the field he, for someone of his size. Like such impressive long speed. Like mm-hmm. geez. Yeah, it, it definitely stands out. Yeah. Nice. So to undercut Chris, uh, you might have the dibs of being the president, but it's a crowded, it's a crowded fan club. You, hey, got, you got Darian Williamson over there. Yeah, so but I was I was fighting, I was waving that flag like Jon Snow right waving his sword in the Battle of the Bastards last year. Like I was trying to tell everyone, like, this dude's got something. No one wants to listen. That's fine. I'm used to it. Jordan Travis. Travis Hunter. Solo Cinder. Travis Hunter. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. There's been way too many Travis Hunter mentions on this podcast. I'm, just not, <laughs> I'm not happy with it. Deion Sanders, Travis Hunter, Rising Spear, Broward Knoll 15. What are you the most worried slash anxious slash nervous slash skeptical about everything? And these last five games. Oh, that's just talking about life. <laughs> Did all those slashes give you some anxiousness, Brendan? Uh, I was just thinking of Cordell Stewart the entire time. Hey, I uh, I am worried about a clunker. I said that on, I think, the Brady Bunch podcast we did a few days ago. 
And that that is my main concern is that they come out in you know Georgia Tech or Louisiana or even one of the rival games and just have a complete and utter clunker. It just would not be good for them. Um, it wouldn't be good for the trajectory of the program. It wouldn't be good for the feeling of the season when we're exiting it. I just I worry about it. I think it's important for FSU to play their best football down the stretch and show what they're kind of made of and what they're capable of being and also show that they're continually improving. I think are all very important things. So yeah, clunker is my concern. I think Chris kept it broad, but like appropriately there, I think in the broad scale, I think you just need to look improved and you need to be consistent. I think that's, that's how you see that. Um, especially like there's no games you, you shouldn't win. I think remaining, like, I think you're going to be favored in all five games. So you just stay consistent and you, you win the games you should, I think playing up to your, to your rivals, I think that's really important Uh, by season's end. That might be the thing that sticks out the most, you know, whether you won those games or not. Uh, Yeah. Finishing strong, beating those teams, staying consistent generally, which is probably what it's going to get you that result. That's what you need. Going two and three or going three and two with both losses to Miami and Florida would give me anxiety just for what that means with you being in no man's land, probably going into like say 2024, like if you finish the year six and six or, uh, seven and five without a win over a rival like that that's a toughie that's a toughie for momentum in the offseason recruiting especially yeah like you're recruiting comparatively to florida and miami right now you're mm-hmm. not stacking up super well especially florida at the moment so yep exactly yeah. now this is again this is a big stretch coming up um maybe even they pivotal Mm. <laughs> dirty to me. Sunday gold. What needs to change for this program to take the next step and compete for conference titles in uh, New, New York six, New Year's six bowl games. I'm not drunk. I promise. I mean, they just got to recruit better. I mean, that's, you got to win enough games. Like we said, uh, just a, a second ago. Right. And you have to win enough games to give yourself legitimate momentum on the recruiting trail, have the sales pitch that you can, that's malleable. And you could sell multiple things to, to various levels of recruits. And uh, I think this is a good coaching staff. I think Mike Prevell is a very good coach, but he's able to recruit at a high enough level. They will win enough games to be contending for things that matter. So the offense, obviously like this year, hasn't been great at red zone, had some situational issues. Those things have to be better, but for it to take the next step as a program, the defense has to become one that creates chaos and creates turnovers. Great teams create turnovers. Great teams give themselves more opportunities to score more points than the opposition. That's why they're usually great teams. It's just plain and simple truth of the direction this program has to go. A statistically appealing and nice defense, which I guess you could categorize this year's version as, that's all well and good. That does put you in a position where you can win a lot of games. But to become that next tier of program, your defense has to impact games wholeheartedly. And currently FSU doesn't do that at a very good rate. Yeah, it starts with upgrading the roster talent. And I think, to Chris's point, I think if you do upgrade the roster talent, you do find more havoc just based on winning your one-on-ones there. I mean, we've seen that decrease as the season's gone on, as like the health of the defensive line has has decreased. You've seen less havoc. Um, I think it starts with that. You just need better roster talent, like Brendan said, recruiting, you know, continuing to hit the transfer portal, maintaining a good quarterback. Um, those things are important. I think you have a high roster ceiling at Florida State, and you have to to progress towards meeting that. Dane Beta, beta Noel, eight five eight seven. Oh, no, you're not a Beta Noel. <laughs> beta Noel. All these numbers in the names screw me up. 
Uh, is the secondary going to become the new offensive line where we just load up on bodies year in and year out until we can get three to four to be consistent? I mean, if that's the case, I think you need to look at maybe who's coaching those guys, to be honest. Oh, Dane, um, Dane's getting close to naming names. <laughs> I'm saying if that's the case. Um, and that, that offensive I mean, like, Offensive line was pretty bad for a while. Yeah, I, I wouldn't old enough to care at that point. To be honest, I don't really recall about that. <laughs> but thanks, Dane. Just make us feel a little old. <laughs> it, was only 20, it was only twenty eighteen. That yeah, those but, were um, the days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah, I was I trying to get those like, days to fail algebra or something. Um, I I'll but, say that Dane's first part of the answer is the right part of this answer. The secondary is not. Poor talent-wise, comparatively to some of the dreadful offensive lines this place rolled out there for a few years, it's not that. The secondary's issue is development of the secondary. On a team where there's a lot of really good development, I can't say that about secondary, specifically to cornerbacks. Dude, it's crazy if you think back to like what those offensive lines were in 2019 and specifically 2018. That Florida State, like it got to that point. 2018 was egregious that was a dereliction of duty on the previous staff's part just uh, buried yourself in a deeper hole under the the other staff uh on their end like that offensive line was a dreadful thing when you get a chance pull up pff numbers from 2018 and learn something about that year i mean i i do recall like jimbo's recruiting classes like just kind of a neglect of that that unit for a few years in a row leading up to that and brady scott was their only Signing one starter at freshman, right? As a freshman, pretty strong. Sure like right tackle. But yeah, but again, go look at the PFF grades from 2018. Yeah, not good. Not good. It's not not great. Uh, Dane, I will uh, stick with you for this question. So we kind of railroaded you on that last one. Noel Hoya wants to know which player hasn't gotten much playing time that you thought would this season. Um. Um. That's not great podcasting, is it? No, it's not. But keep keep addressing it. And let's <laughs> take on it a little bit longer, and I'll keep talking to try if, to if you take, I'm going through the units enough, in my we'll, head. We'll just edit it out, make it sound like you immediately had the answer. Okay, so we're only on page one. We got to. Well, I'll say I'll say Jarquez McClellan. I thought he would have a more impactful role. He's kind of like the your stable guy back there, one of them. And I don't think he's had many snaps at all. Um. So yeah, yeah, funny answer maybe maybe Tate Rodemaker. I don't know. Oh, I, Jordan Travis right? has played a lot. That's kind of nice. Not like that has a point to be made there at all. But sure, Dennis Briggs. He has actually played quite a bit. The impact just hasn't been what I expected. I, I thought Briggsy was gonna come back from injury and be more like he was pre-injury, where he was doing a heck of a good job on the interior. The impact just hasn't been the same. Um, he's been serviceable. The impact just hasn't been there. Why? Why? Wow. I mean, that's he just hasn't played as much answer. on offense as I thought he would. I mean, Mark Easton has is a year ahead of where I thought he was going to be from a snap standpoint. And why it's been really good. White Rector's been really good on special teams. Special teams captain, really great on kickoff coverage. But um, yeah, has not been in the base office as much as I would have thought. Especially with some like uh, some injury concern, maybe like. With yeah. Cameron McDonald, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he still hasn't found that. But we love him. We do love him. Team Special YY. teams king. Mm-hmm. Special teams matter. Snapping important to you. Special teams important to you. 
Uh, Gesu, oh, that's not how you pronounce it. God, it's like Georgia Southern. Is what it's like. There you go. <laughs> just, just, I still think Kev has a cat for the record. <laughs> is this, is it the, is this the best FSU team? People don't like it. Like, people are going to be annoyed that I'm laughing and having fun on this. Go. Whoa! Are you that? 103.55, edit. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we were more buttoned up podcast. I'd rather talk in monotonous tones for an hour and a half. <laughs> I think laughing at what you laughed at doesn't help the situation either, to be honest. But we'll move on. No one asked you, Dane. Is this the best FSU team since 2016? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. 100%. Not close. <laughs> Actually, I mean, we didn't 2017 Hang on, added that really one, well. too. Uh, added that one out, too? <laughs> you're, you're definitely a better team than you were in 2017. The roster talent in 2017 was far better than what you have right now, though. We feel better about the direction of the program than we did in 2017. I yeah. think that's uh, Polar opposite. certainly fair. Okay, big earn. Is FSU going to pursue Jakeem Jackson? Can you ask him to? Or are we cool with Corey Raymond just asking, taking all the in-state cornerbacks? So, I know, Dane's talked to Jakeem some, so I'll let him answer the latter portion of this. I, Jakeem has a family tied to Kentucky, I was told. I was told if his school was going to switch him, it's going to be Kentucky. Dane talks to the kid more, so I'll let him chime in with the rest. I'm checking to see if he's gone totally cold on me, because I think he kind of has lately. Uh-oh. Yeah, he he's only, geez, really big peek behind the scenes here, but he's only responded kind of lately to him saying he's not coming. So, <laughs> not visiting Florida State. <laughs> so, there's so that. It's weird. It's been months on end where there's a stretch where he's like, yeah, I plan to make it up there. I plan to get there. And it just, it never happened. So, yeah. Cornerback recruiting is so interesting. I can't wait for the Juco portion of it. It's so fun. Oh. <laughs> uh, I Malik Feaster has how many games has he played in Chris? One, two, uh, four, I believe, and then he hasn't played since. I believe he played in the first four. Oh, I wonder if there's a chance that he gets redshirted and comes back next year. Just saying, BC Paranol list in order for most likely. Wait, yeah, for most likely to least likely, if FSU can flip Brock Glenn, Cedric Baxter, and Jalen Brown. Uh, most likely, I will start off. If you guys disagree, let me know. Cedric Baxter is the most likely right now. Uh, I think it's definitely between Brockland and Cedric Baxter. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Brockland. Well, I'm gonna go Cedric Baxter because he actually keeps showing up on campus. You got him for an official. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm just following the visits. Uh, second, I'll go with Jalen Brown, and third, I'll go with Brockland. I think it's a tall task to flip him from Ohio State. Noel stuff. What kind of Halloween candy are you gonna be passing out this year? Full candy bars, because that's the right way to do it. Full candy bars, because that's the right way to do it. I got uh, Reese's Cups, and I got Hershey's, just standard milk chocolate bars. But we're only giving it to a few select neighbors, and then I'm turning off the lights and eating the rest for myself. Dane? Hell yeah, Brennan. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm not in the age range to answer this well, but... Dane's going to show I'll up full on bars. my doorstep to get a full candy bar. <laughs> <laughs> Dane, what was the last time, last the last thing you dressed up as for Halloween? I think like a Care Bear. I was a blue Care Bear a couple of years ago. 
I don't know if I dressed up last year. There was one year I put like a bed sheet over my body and cut holes in it like a ghost. That's kind of low effort, but I thought it was a little creative. I don't know. I don't think we should talk a ton <laughs> about what I dress up as for Halloween over the years. Going to scratch all this out too. 107. This is going to be an easy podcast to edit. Good, 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 good. Uh, B, the Levy Ivy 53 Ivy. Oh, would you move on from Woodson at the. Okay. Uh, Donella Knoll, did the services slash staff miss on Travis Jade, Demore Tate? I mean, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. So, some context. Demore Tate was always more athlete than position player. I think that's the way he was described too in the moment. I don't think that's revisionist history. It's amazing that the kid went to college and he just, nothing has come of it. I'm absolutely shocked by that. Jay was also more athlete than defensive back because he played so much quarterback in high school. But Jay felt like a guy that a transition to defensive back more so safety than corner always seemed like it was going to be not that difficult for him. And he did it. He did play that spot. The issue for him is he had such a low success rate and I think he fell out of favor. So I feel like Jay was more, he got an opportunity, he squandered it, and Tate's more, he just never developed to get the opportunity. So just to put a little context behind the two names. But yeah, I mean, they, they were both very highly thought of prospects, aggressively recruited by several, and you know, it, 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 to this point in time, they're busts. I've thought about this multiple times. We don't have to stay on here long, but like what if Travis Jay just turned his head around a tad quicker on a couple passes against Notre Dame last year? Or those balls weren't complete Perf. times. Yeah, by yeah. quarterback who didn't make a pass like that the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Like his career might be different with confidence and and I was gonna say whatnot. I did not. Uh or just FSU's like outlook, like just eh, them's the them's the breaks, huh? DC no five. If we win seven to eight games this year, what record does Norvell need to keep himself off the hot seat? In 2023, I mean, you just can't go backwards. I guess, like, if you win seven yeah, eight this year, has to be continued uh, progression. Yeah, year I think year. next year you feel like you got to compete for the ACC because the divisions are going away, so you can't say compete for the ACC Atlantic. But let's be honest: if you're competing for the ACC Atlantic, you're competing for the ACC. Uh, Truthfully, I mean, it'd you... be nice if they just got rid of them now, so we can have the Clemson Wake rematch. Eight wins seems to be like the sweet spot next year. Even if you go seven seven and five, eight and eight. Uh, or eight and eight on the NFL. <laughs> that NFL schedule, I can't wait. Oh yeah, NFL. You think Sonoma's worn NFL. out after ten games? Wait till week seventeen. Oh, I shirtless drinking bourbon. <laughs> Got another question about top ten class. Uh, Bloom twenty four. In your opinion, who will make a bigger impact at FSU by the time they are they are done? Poor grammar on his part. It's not my fault. Lucas Simmons or Julian Armella. Uh, I'll go Julian Armella just because I've seen him and I know exactly, well, I don't know exactly what he is, but like I've seen it in person against other guys at this level and there's something there, like he's going to be a starting offensive tackle for you sooner rather yeah. than later. I think Sam- Simmons has a higher ceiling of the two because sure. he's more of a, a, a true potential left tackle. Armella is a little bit ready, more ready for the fire and he was when he stepped on campus and compared to where I think Lucas will be when he steps on campus. So I think I'd lean Julian, but I, I, I'm i willing to bet on my belief that I think Lucas Simmons is going to develop into a hell of a player under Alex Atkins. I, I definitely agree with Chris. I, I mean, Julian Miller is a safer answer because he's on campus now, and we see that there's so much promise. I mean, if it like Brennan said, it seems like a safe bet that he's going to be a, 
a good contributor for you, not just not even just a contributor, but a, a positive one. But um, but Lucas Simmons has such a high ceiling, so it's really hard to count him out. And I don't think there's any, there's no huge question marks to me at least for Lucas Simmons at all. Like there's not, there's not a, a really low ceiling or low a low floor for him either because I think like attitude wise, all these things, um, I think they all point in the positive direction for Lucas Simmons too. Famous Hughes asks, any chance of getting back in on Desmond Ricks after the reclassification? Yes, there's a chance. Page two. All right, we got to go rapid fire here, guys. We got another page after this that we may not get to. I think we go another 10 minutes and then we get done what we can get done because we're up to an hour and 12 minutes and there's going to be a lot of editing to this. And there's already a long cold open. And I need to shut up. Oh, my God. This is a three-line question. Sorry, Jackstrap. I'm moving on. It's just too long. I can't. Gotta move on. JJH10. Does FSU have any offensive line that's above? Does it have an offensive line that's above average in 2023? Robert Scott probably comes back. Uh, pretty much everyone comes back other than Dimitri Manuel, I would imagine. Uh, so, yes, I think. I think it's a good question. I think yeah. Maurice Smith, another year there, if he can stay healthy. If you I get a plus Harris, maybe. That's right. He's back. If you get a, if Darius Washington can get into a, a full off season of lifting, like we saw what he looks like when that happens, but he does need to lift. Is, uh, is, not is there some chance Julian Armello is there next year? Yeah, and twenty twenty three next year. Yeah, I think by by next year they'll at least be integrating him in uh, Jalen Early with a full. Like, yeah, and I was going to say it, Early's no guy. I also mm-hmm. think there's a couple portal auditions that could happen that would be plug and play depth too deep, bless Harris type guys that, uh, I, yeah, I, I think it takes that next step next year. No blooded two, five, two, five as first five games or last five games. What stretch is tougher. I mean, we know what the first five were. Are we counting Duquesne as part of that? Or are we counting? I, mean, I guess we count that. So we're not including Clemson. Uh, so that would include LSU at Louisville on oh, no, a Boston college and then wake. I, I think the first five was tougher than the back five, personally. They'll be That's favored. Fine. Yeah, they'll be favored, like Dane said, and everyone. Uh, just emotionally, those backstretches have two rivalry games, and, and the road game at Syracuse might be your – I guess it wouldn't be tougher than – I was going to say after Wake, LSU. Wake is better than anybody who yeah. played yeah. on the back right. LSU is as good as Syracuse, and yep. truthfully, LSU now is better than Syracuse now. Overthinking it. You are right. Better. Yeah, big drip, Noel. How many players do you predict signing from the JUCO ranks? Uh, you know what's weird, guys? They haven't gone super heavy in JUCO. Like, I thought that was a strength of the staff, and that hasn't happened to the extent I thought it would. I think portals change uh, the interest in JUCOs. Um, I think they add maybe two. I could see them adding an O-lineman and a defensive back from JUCO. Beyond that, not right now. I just don't know of anybody else I would say I think they add there. So, you know, two. They've, they've definitely dabbled in a lot of Juco. I mean, we're talking about like the DBs earlier. Uh, and you have Jaden Jones in the class now. That's a really high-end Juco guy. But, yeah, I don't know what the question was, to be honest. That was just me adding. No, that was, that was a good add-in, Dane. Okay, good. Uh, Ivan's burner. <laughs> Could you speak to the outlook of, quote, big boosters? I remember hearing before the season that Mike had a lot of support amongst that contingent. I presume that is still the case, but curious. Chris, do you like big boosters? Can you not lie? Uh, so Bowden Society is sort of your definition of big boosters now in the FSU hierarchy. Bowden Society is something they unveiled a few weeks ago. There's, a, and I'll probably get a text correcting me on this, there's roughly 250 members of the Bowden Society now. 
which is a good sign. That number has continued to grow. I think that's a sign of the money flowing in a positive direction in the sense of belief and support of the athletic programs, which are obviously football is the front doormat of all of that in the sense of being the attracting thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I still think boosters are very much behind Mike and the program in the direction and what they're trying to accomplish here. Yes. Uh, let's see. Laud Knowles, 82. In the last several years, I've seen a trend of DBs not turning their heads to find the ball. What am I missing? You're not missing anything. You're 100% right. It's aggravating as hell. Yeah, I think different staffs teach different things, but like they want the DBs to play the wide receivers rather than the ball here. That's kind of the, the trade-off you make is supposed to be lower uh, – lower error rate if you're doing that, but you, you trade off interceptions and turn your head around and making plays on the ball sometimes. So. Uh, Got to keep your head on Swivel. Speaking of which, Swivel Knoll, is Sam McCall a regular contributor in the secondary next season? Dane, what do you think of that? I think it's a good question. Um, I think, I think, it's, I think that's le- – oh, my God. I think that's less likely than A.C. Thomas. Uh, I wonder where he would contribute because I feel like I see him more as a safety – in corner they're definitely uh, working on him trying to be a corner though exactly that's that's why i say that i think yeah. he has an interesting skill set to be your nickel because uh, of lankiness and he's quick-footed and he's got size he like would give you a different dimension right now they just kind of go with the the diminutive slot you know prototypical old school like slot cornerback i think he just might think- give you some more hybrid elements because he's got kind of like some safety like you see like him and him and you've seen this in games, him and AZ are the two guys they like to kind of rotate and transform in from corner to safety mid mid play. So there's something there skill set wise. He's a two deep player next year. Yeah. I sure. think that's the plan for them. Uh Knowles95 asks about the hoops team. This is for Chris Nee. We don't have the time because I know once we get Chris started on it, it's gonna be a long one. I want to do a hoops preview podcast. Maybe we have Trey host it, Chris. I think that'd be something fun to do with the season coming up. Uh, to us here if you're interested in it but um yeah we just we can't get into that right now exhibition on thursday at 7 p.m see see can't contain himself mj willis 10 who are the top five players committed elsewhere that we have at least a five percent chance of flipping i just one one player guys like who do they have a a chance i'll go jalen brown oh cedric baxter sure i think chris is gonna say yeah baxter is my pick we've talked about guys that are committed elsewhere throughout this podcast that they're still involved with that they, they, I think they'll try to move some pieces around the table uh, and see if they can get anybody shaken loose down the stretch. You got to remember coaching changes are coming uh, elsewhere that could shake some things loose. And sometimes kids just reconsider when they have free time on their hands and want to take some visits. So there's always a possibility of somebody opening up that we're not talking about right now. Emery Williams is another name. Of, yeah. Besides this good three. ad. Our Castro Trop Tycho, I guess. Without getting into specifics, and now the ship has more than likely sailed. Uh, WTF happened to Destin Hill. Sinone. Uh, yeah, so, still Sinone, man. Uh, there are still like more details I would love to get before we like actually talk about it. And I, I promise I'm not like hiding that aspect. There's stuff we know. There's more stuff I would like to know to be responsible talking about it. It's been really, 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 really tough to, to find. Uh, another question from him is more important room to upgrade through the portal DB or offensive line. That's a good question. I think it's still like offensive line just because of what you can get for college ready made player versus 
high school ranks at that position group. Do you agree with that, Dane? I don't think I do. Ooh. Um, if it is offensive line, it's only this year. After that, it's definitely not because you're building a, a lot of – you have talent and stability, depth in that line – in that room after next mm-hmm. year for sure. Um, a defensive back, I don't know. Who do you lose in that room? Do you lose Renardo Green, Jamie Robinson? I think Jamie Robinson – but I think it's more about upgrading the room would be like – Sure. I just don't love who you have, I guess, outside of like an AZ Thomas, outside of maybe a Duke Cooper. Who knows at this point? I don't know. Um, maybe Sam McCall, but I think you definitely need to upgrade that DB room. Shaheen Brown. Seems. Oh, yeah. I, me, I like him too. To me, it's O-line because you've got to continue to improve the talent. you got to find a guy who's better than what Jazz is giving you now, for example. you got to continue to do that. That's a group where you're going to depend on so many bodies in a given year. Injuries are just kind of a natural order of business with the big body guys. So, yeah, I think it's O-line because DB group, it's really one or two additions will really change the outlook of that whole group potentially if those guys hit and play at a high level. I think we see a lot of turnover on the offensive line. Maybe not like your top seven, eight contributors, but other than Demetri Emanuel, but like what happens with Thomas Schrader and his medical status moving forward? Like, I think that's a reasonable question that we have to ask at this point. Zane Herring has been recruited over. Like, I see someone who who looks for another opportunity elsewhere. Uh Broad or we haven't Lord seen Willis. Lloyd Willis. Like yeah, we start getting into like four or five names of like guys who could reasonably transfer, and that's before you get to any other sort of attrition. Uh, obviously, oh, I forgot Dylan Gibbons exhausts his eligibility. Like someone you have to replace. He's been rock solid for you the last two seasons. So yeah, there's five to six guys that you have to replace, and they yes, they brought in a lot of offensive linemen, uh, but that's still going to lead to like you are going to have to to probably go to the portal for a couple more. Uh, just just. Chris said there's a lot of bodies that you have to, to get through in this season. Uh, Chris three, 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 three asks, why do you think Dennis Briggs has been a ghost in games compared to his practice reports? Do we see him kick inside to be more effective? Well, he has been kicked inside Chris. I mean, that's the last couple of weeks has been there partially because uh, of necessity with Fabian Lovett, not being a hundred percent, but also because uh, Leonard Warner and more so Patrick Payton have emerged to allow you to move Dennis Briggs inside when just he hasn't been as twitchy off the edge as we would have liked for him to be, to be totally transparent. Like he just, the move to defensive end hasn't been as productive as you would have hoped. Yeah. He, he started preseason practice really well and then it kind of faded and then games started being played and it really faded and it just hasn't really come back. He's, as I said earlier, he's been serviceable, but the impact just isn't there, which is disappointing. Dennis is a kid that, you ask anybody that coaches him and plays with him, he's very well thought of because he is a kid that busts his backside. And he was a very good player for them last year before cheap shot by Louisville kind of sidelined him. And I think there's still some ill effects of that injury disappointment. Yeah, he, he's a year removed from that. And we see sometimes, especially with leg injuries, it could take a year and a half to two years. Like sometimes you get totally back, just depending. Um, so I think that's worth noting. Colin Bohannon, and we'll end it on this one, guys. We have another page. I'm sorry I couldn't get through it all. Like this was just we've gone through a lot and you guys had a lot of questions, a lot of good ones we wanted to get to. So wish you could have done all of them. Just not reasonable right now. Sorry. Stop apologizing. Colin Bohannon regarding the projected offensive line talent for 2023. Are we better off with a dual threat quarterback like Jordan Travis or a gunslinger or distributor type that we might hope to find in the portal? Maybe like a, he mentions Tyler Van Dyke as an example. 
uh, <laughs> which he's not a distributor right now, unless you're getting to the other team. Um, <laughs> that's been a hell of a thing. How crazy is that? As like Miami seemed to fi- finally, after all these years of talking themselves into find like the quarterback, they actually found one last year in Van Dyke, the guy who wasn't supposed to be the guy. Like he was sandwiched between one of the guys they thought was going to be the guy and Derek King, and then um, was it? Garcia, Stephen Garcia, Garcia? Jake Garcia. Jake Garcia. 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 A Garcia. Like he was sandwiched between them. He ends up being like revelatory for them down the stretch. They end up moving on from Manny Diaz and the offensive staff. Uh, uh, who um, uh, who was it? Moved to SMU. Uh, and and you, Lashley. Uh, Lashley. Lashley. And you go to a different scheme, pro style scheme, with a staff that's known for not doing a great job maximizing their quarterbacks. And it's just, it, there's some poetic like one there was irony that he was going to be the guy who they found kind of pulled out of their butt uh to be the guy and now he's not the guy and there's something that cracks me up about that but to the fsu portion of this uh what do you think guys like whether it's j trav or someone else i think it's kind of cool that i don't think you need to have a super mobile guy anymore like that's that's an element that you can lean on but we saw with with tate rodemaker in the louisville game like the supporting cast is getting to the point where you don't have to have that eraser scrambler type to be functional in a year from now uh, is my thought. I'm curious to get yours. Yeah. Um, the offensive line's in a lot better spot than it was when you needed a, a Jordan Travis type, like a, a really like impressively mobile guy where the defense always has to respect his legs in the run game. Um, you're at a spot or you should be where you don't need that. Um, and you also have wide receivers that are capable of, of winning and that sort of thing. Those are the two biggest, two biggest keys there. Um, you can win with both, obviously. Um, I mean, having a guy with, with running capability is always a positive, but I think you can definitely succeed with someone who's, you want to label as more of like a pocket passer. I think you're at a spot where, where you should be able to succeed with that. And I think you are. I think Mike Norvell is good at morphing his offense around the personnel he's using. So I think you can have either type and FSU can be successful in that. They'll be able to scheme it up and do what they want to do. I love a good mobile quarterback who's a capable passer, though, because it just creates mismatches in the hack game and gives you an opportunity to make some explosive plays. And at the end of the day, as good as FSU wants to be at being a consistent offense and a run-first offense, their bread and butter under Mike Norvell and his bread and butter historically is explosive play production. So give give me the scrambler over the pocket guy, even though I know a pocket guy can do, maybe do it a little bit more vertically with his arm. Chris, it's twenty twenty two. We don't have dual threat or or pocket passers anymore. <laughs> yeah, Small you need someone who can make throws you're supposed to make, and if they can run well, that's cool too. How about Georgia Tech's quarterback situation as we get out of here? That that's a doozy, huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. rough. All right, let's it, leave it on that note, sure, right? Yeah. And now, Kev's cap. Sim status, I guess. <laughs> Kev's cap. <laughs> Sticking the landing. That was perfect. Oh. Oh, I'm out of here.
Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats.